Hello and welcome to the Brodacious Book Club. The podcast where we host a book club. And I haven't read the book. I'm your host, Matt Thomas, and with me is my good, good bro, the powerhouse of the pod, the bro in the know, Aaron (laughs) Rockford. Every episode, we review a new book read by me and discussed with Matt. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing a perfect sort of sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humorous bent. Basically, if I understand the book by the end of the podcast, so will you. And that means we've done our job. Our goal is to help you, the listener, understand the nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because you're busy, and we get that. Of course, because we'll be diving right into these novels, as always, spoiler alert, we will be discussing major plot points, so obviously, if you don't want to be spoiled for the book, consider maybe checking out the book first, which we always encourage you to do, and then coming back here and listening to our discussion afterwards. Absolutely. And with that, this pod is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is a comedy podcast? Perhaps. Question mark? You decide. (laughs) And, of course, we mean no disrespect to the books or the authors discussed. We're not professional critics. We're just two people who think we're funny sometimes. On a good day, maybe. (laughs) And with that, with no further ado, Erin, tell us, what are we reading today? Today, we're going to be reading Jade City by Fonda Lee, a sort of modern fantasy epic. Okay, what do you mean by modern fantasy? I guess this is a perfect segue for you to tell us a bit about the setting. (laughs) I might find it a little bit helpful to compare in some ways to our recent read of The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. Right. And if you haven't heard that episode yet, I encourage you to go check it out. It's a good one. This is less history focused. This is more purely a fantasy world, but... You know how a lot of fantasy novels tend to be set in a very standard medieval Europe setting? Yeah. Um, This is a fantasy novel, except it's set in sort of what we might consider modern or... And and when I say modern, I mean in the sense of like post-World War II, pre-millennium Asia. Indeed. East Asia. Some real interesting themes for us to dig into there, if that's kind of the the setting. But we'll we'll get to that, I guess. Does it take place within a particular country or? Yeah, so it takes place in a small country called Kekon, and I'd like to just issue a small apology to Fonda Lee right up at the start if I mispronounce anything. <laughs> I'm gonna do my very best, but I'm very sorry, Fonda, if I do screw up any of your character names. Indeed, likewise. <laughs> she said about Kekon, as we saw in the Poppy War, where the country of Nikan was very much meant to be an analogy for China and Chinese history, Kekon is not necessarily meant to be any specific East Asian country. Mm. It sort of draws from some of the traditions of multiple ones. Okay. It has some things that are recognizably from Hong Kong, some things that are Japanese. I think geographically it's potentially the most like Japan because it's a small island country. Okay. It takes place following something that is kind of similar to World War II, that there was this global war that involved all of the countries in this world. And during this war, Kekon was able to throw off its sort of imperial oppressors, Mm. and it was then governed by its own people. And it's been 
some period of time since that, maybe 40, 50 years since that. Interesting. Not a ton of time, but there have been a couple but a generations. But a lot can happen, yeah. Yeah. All right, now, is the main focal point of the book, is it more on individual characters and their experiences, or is it more focused on the geopolitics and the grand strategy of the countries involved? No, it's very specific to Kekon. It's been described as a gangster fantasy. It's been compared to The Godfather. I have not read or seen seen The Godfather. So Gasp. I, I know. <laughs> Interesting. Movie shame there for you. <laughs> can't just gloss over that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I have, I've not seen a lot of classic movies, I will admit. You want to know something shameful? What? I haven't seen it either. <laughs> so there you go. Roast us yeah. in the comments. I know we have to watch it. I know. Yeah, I know it's a classic. Who has the time? Isn't it like three hours? Right? It's the whole point of this freaking yeah, podcast. You don't saving have time. time but... That's why you're listening to us. <laughs> probably. But we digress. Anyway, so I can't speak to whether or not those comparisons are accurate, but it is about gangs in a way. It is about family. Okay. Because basically the world building that's important before we get started is that instrumental in overthrowing these imperial oppressors were these clans. And there were two big ones. There was the mountain and there was no peak. And they worked together during the war to get the foreigners off of their island, basically. Mm -hmm. And since then, they have basically ruled Kekon. Okay. Ostensibly, there is a government. I believe there's an emperor who is mentioned once or twice. There's some council people. The real power is the clans. Interesting. I'm getting kind of a shogunate vibe. Uh, different shogunates mm-hmm. and daimos. In some ways, yes, except that it's a bit smaller geographically. Both the Mountain and No Peak clan have holdings in like the capital city, which is right. called Janlun, which is the titular Jade City. I see. Very good to know. The other comparison I've seen made is to the genre of films called wuxia, Mm -hmm. which are like martial arts heavy action films. That's right. Absolutely. That's actually a very helpful comparison, at least for me. Perhaps you can elaborate a little bit more on the fantasy element. Is there a magic system in particular, a system of deities? What is it that makes this fantasy. Yeah, so the the main thing and the thing that makes Kekon special in particular is that it is home to jade, which within this universe is a magical stone, and it can be used by people who are attuned to it, which for the most part is the people of Kekon, and the people who use jade are called green bones. So they have some sort of latent inborn ability to use the power, but they don't actually have access to it unless they're in physical contact with jade. Hmm, interesting. Okay, and what does that allow them to do? A bunch of different things. Lots of physical power. There's sort of different schools of it. There's like channeling, which is like stopping someone's heart. There's brute force. There's like speed, agility, stuff like that. So it enhances your physical abilities quite a bit. And there's also a mental component as well. You can't read minds with it, but you can sense people's emotional states. So you Hmm. could tell if somebody was lying to you, for example, if you were good at that skill. Interesting. So not quite the being able to summon a Mm. gigantic monster of bones like in some of the other (laughs) pieces that we've reviewed but it's a very not 
quite military, but it's combat-based magic for the okay. most part. Yeah. Obviously, they're highly valued within the clans because Indeed. you know you need to be able to do that in order to go up against other people who have the same abilities. Right. And it's it's a mark of status too. Like if you wear jade, oh, and sure. yeah, yeah, and the more jade you have, the more powerful you are. Mm. Sorry, the more yeah. powerful literally your magic is, yes. or the more powerful you are based on social status. The more powerful you are literally, like I see it amplifies um, it. It does, and there's a limited supply of jade. So the main way that you get jade is by taking it off of other people. Interesting. Okay. So you want to win fights. Right. So it's also, if you have a lot of jade, it's also a sign that you have beaten a lot of other green bones. Right. Now, despite this being a modern magical society, is this like the Wild West where people are just casting spells left and right in the city to steal jade? Or is this kind of a back alley thing? Hence the crime families? It's more of a back alley thing, but it's also a bit of a... The, the green bones are both the cause and the solution of most of the problems mm. in Kekon. Like, mm. they keep order as long as everything's cool. Interesting. Once okay. things start to not be cool, that's when you've got fighting in the streets. Interesting. And also, it's only Kekanese generally who can use jade, but there's a drug called shine, mm. which enables non-Kekanese people to use it. Hmm. So this is background geopolitics that some of the other countries, which have no inherent jade ability, want access to jade and to shine in order to fight their wars off in fantasy Europe. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Does the story touch on any of the imperialist themes? The, the jade is a hot commodity, but it's not at the point where the other countries are coming to invade. Mm. It's more that it's now a question of whether or not the Kekanese people should allow this to happen. Mm. Whether or not they should give in to the, the pressures and and open up their country and sell jade legitimately or try to lock down as much as they can, but there's black market dealers and stuff because that's how these things work. Indeed. In any case, that's a perfect segue towards our characters. Who are, who's our protagonist and what now that we have the world and the setting, what's the story? The story basically follows the No Peak clan, which is one of the two major clans. Right. And the family that is the center of that, because there's non-family members who are part of the clan, but the leaders are this family. It's called the Call family. And the grandfather, Sen, he was the one who was involved in the war years ago, but he's now an old man. He's no longer in charge because he's starting to go a little bit senile. And his only heir died years ago, but he has three grandchildren. Okay. And those are sort of our, our protagonists. And they all, well, two-thirds of them play a role in the clan. How the clan leadership breaks down is kind of interesting. There's the pillar, who's the leader of the clan. He has final say on everything. Then there's the horn, who commands the military arm of the clan. The horn has fists, and the fists all have fingers, which is interesting. interesting Vivid. And then there's also the weatherman, and the weatherman is in charge <laughs> of the business side of the clan and sure. also the spies. Interesting. And at the time that the book opens, the eldest grandson, whose name is Lon, he is the current pillar of the clan. Okay. And his younger brother, whose name is Hilo, is the horn. Okay. And then the weatherman position is held by a character named Doru, who has had the weatherman position for the entirety of 
the clan existing as a major power. Indeed. So he was the grandfather's weatherman. He's been in the position for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And then the third grandchild, because you'll remember there were three, her name is Shay, and she was the favorite child, but she left the clan behind to go work in a different country with her boyfriend, who was a foreigner, Ooh. and she left her jade behind, and it was a whole family scandal. Hmm. Interesting and strangely relatable for a... <laughs> A fantasy post-war China with magic, you know, strangely relatable, but okay, I think that you painted an excellent picture, laid a solid foundation for moving forward and exploring the story and the the plot points. We understand kind of the, the structure of the clans, how the clans work, what the clans are, so nothing more to say other than take it away, you know? Okay, will do. How does our story begin? <laughs> Just before we launch into the actual summary, I, I have the, the copy of the book right here with me, and I'm a little bit tempted to do ASMR with it. <laughs> but on the front, I just think it has a fun tagline. It says, family is duty, magic is power, honor is everything. Interesting. Perfect way to set the tone. Yeah. To jump right into it. And we definitely did not edit that back in later. Nonsense. <laughs> not like we had to loop back for that or anything. It's, it's fine. It's fine. So we actually start from the perspective of a character who is not a part of the family and not a part of the clan. His name is Barrow, and he's trying to steal Jade, which is sort of the unorthodox way of getting it, from one of the no-peak fists. And he's actually successful, drugs this guy and steals the Jade, like rips it out of his ear, Mm. because mostly they wear it in jewelry. I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And he's caught, because unfortunately the fist is currently dining with some of the other major members of the clan, including Hilo, the horn. Right. Lon, the pillar of the clan, the leader, he decides to let Barrow go instead of really punishing him. He's like, oh, he's a street kid, like whatever. And that's how we get introduced to these characters. And we we learn pretty quickly that Lon is a, a pretty reasonable man, pretty chill, but he's generally viewed as kind of weak. He's constantly fighting that image that he's this mild man who who's not really going to be a strong leader. Mm. He's seen as a bit of a disappointment by his grandfather. His wife divorced him when he became the pillar of the clan. Wow. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Whereas Hilo, his younger brother, is worshipped by Mm. the rest of the clan because he's a very strong warrior. He's kind of vicious and also respects his men a lot. So he's well thought of because of that. Like He befriended some clan members who were disgraced because of the actions of their father. So Hilo is sort of the clan favorite Mm -hmm. and that has always put the brothers against each other. Mm. And as we open in the story, there's some unrest starting to happen between the two clans. Mm -hmm. The mountain, the opposing clan, is governed by this woman named Aitmada, who is the adopted daughter of the man who was the head when they overthrew their oppressors. The head of No Peak and the head of the mountain were very close during the war. They were comrades in arms. They were close buddies. It was a whole thing. But since the original leader of the mountain 
died and the leader of No Peak is going senile and has been removed from his position, relationships between the clans have started to deteriorate. And Aitmada, she is particularly notorious because she killed all of her competition to take over the mm. clan. She was originally the weatherman to her father and when he died she killed her adopted brothers mm. in order to seize control of the clan. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What a character. What <laughs> she's, a character. Yeah, she's pretty interesting. Is that our antagonist? or? Yeah, she's the major antagonist. Good to know. And she's pretty cool. <laughs> we also learn that Hilo has this girlfriend. Uh, her name is Wen. And she is a stone eye, which means that she's Kekanese born, but she can't use jade or feel mm. its power, which is generally considered to be unlucky. But he doesn't really care about that. We also learn that he has jade nipple piercings, which <laughs> is not relevant to the plot, but I thought was worth mentioning. But they stuck it in there. Yeah. They put it in the book, so... <laughs> You heard it here first, <laughs> listeners. You're I just, welcome. I just thought that was a fun character detail Indeed. to include. Indeed. Colorful. Adds color. Exactly. Exactly. And meanwhile, Shay, the wayward daughter of the clan, mm. she returns to Kekon and makes amends with her family. Like, they welcome her back now that she is no longer dating a foreigner. Right. But she refuses to put her jade back on, and she refuses to rejoin the clan properly. She wants to be a normal citizen. Interesting. And How egalitarian. Yeah. And she she wants to be sort of separate from that life. And Hilo isn't super on board with this. Mm. He's still fairly angry at her. They have a very contentious relationship. They're very close in age and we're in competition all the time at the academy that everyone goes to. Mm. We also meet Andon, who is still a student at the academy that everyone goes to. He's sort of an adopted cousin of the Calls. Mm -hmm. He's from this very powerful but very unstable line because there is sometimes a chance that Jay will eventually erode your mind hmm. and that his family is particularly vulnerable to mm. that let's say interesting yeah Do and you it, know why I'm sorry to interrupt I think it's just a matter of like the energy of the jade can be very intense mm. so it's sometimes an issue if they carry too much jade like more jade than they can handle bad things can happen okay and for some people it gives them some issues good to know and in particular it killed his mother and so he's training to be a green bone in the midst of all this chaos. There's a lot of rising tension in this first opening bit of the novel. Andon gets kind of kidnapped by the Horn of the Mountain, whose name is Gaunt Ash. Okay. And we learn that the mountain wants to take over basically all of the clans. There's a couple of minor ones that don't really matter mm -hmm. that the mountain has absorbed mm -hmm. over the years. And there's also this, like I said earlier about this question of whether or not Kekon should sell jade to foreigners, the mountain clan is on the side that they should mm. because people are going to do it anyway. Like there's going to be a black market trade. So they might as well sell it and make the money off of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the No Peak clan is more on the side of like, no, we shouldn't be giving this just willy nilly to any foreigners who will buy it. Partially because they go through an intense amount of training to wield it, which mm -hmm. they don't have in other countries, obviously. Right, right. There's also a subplot that happens 
happens, again, we're sort of in opening chapters about the operation that mines jade. Mm. And the subplot is basically that the mountain are stealing jade from it and have been for quite some time. And Lon asks Shay to investigate it. And she doesn't really want to be involved in the clan, but she agrees to do this for her brother to like help them out a little bit. Because she was groomed to be the weatherman of the clan. So Mm. there was going to be, there's three positions, there's three grandchildren. Mm -hmm. They were all... It was perfect. And we find out that the reason that she backed away from the clan in part was that she found out that Doru, the current weatherman, the forever weatherman. Right. The forever man, <laughs> yeah, if the you forever will. forever man, exactly. That he was sexually abusing her friend and also uh, some other young girls. Uh, I know that's a bit of a tonal shift. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and nobody did anything. Like, it was just kind of an open secret within the clan. What? Right. And so that meant that she lost a lot of the, the respect the for respect people. The respect she had. The institution as yeah, well, I'm and, sure. and her grandfather, with Indeed. whom she was very close. Like I said earlier, she was kind of the favorite child. Uh, Lon is too mild. Hilo is too impulsive. Whereas she was powerful and smart and mm-hmm. had sort of the idea deal makings, at least as far as her grandfather was concerned. The action kicks off when Lon is told that the mountain has whispered Hilo's name, which basically means that they've put out a hit on him. Mm. And... That's bad. There's been sort of casual tension between them for a while, but... That's an escalation. That's Yeah, that's an escalation, to, to put it mildly. Escalation. And Hilo manages to fight off the men who are sent against him without really sustaining any major injuries. Right. Um, meanwhile, Shay realizes that the jade stealing has been enabled by Doru, mm. which means mm-hmm. that he's been working with the mountain, which means that he's a traitor to indeed, the clan. Indeed, indeed. So something's going to have to be done. Yeah, something gonna have to be done so following the assassination attempt there's a confrontation between the two clans in which Lon basically accuses them of trying to assassinate his brother Mm -hmm. and he challenges one of the would-be assassins to a duel partially to prove himself as somebody who can fight oh no and he wins oh okay he wins the duel but he takes a little bit of he's he's wounded a little bit but the biggest issue is that he sustains damage to his energy like the jade energy that runs through you Mm. you can it can be altered. How is that possible? My understanding, one of the abilities that they have is to channel, and usually that's used, you try and stop somebody's heart. I see. But if that fails, it can just kind of create a blip in Mm. your energy so it's not flowing properly anymore. Mm. And further problematizing that is that he takes the loser's jade, which is slightly more jade than he should probably be carrying, Mm. so that also further unbalances the energy inside of him. Indeed. So he becomes a little bit volatile mm. and he and Andon have a visit and in their their cousin right quote-unquote cousin the the other volatile one yeah right. the other potentially volatile one he's still a student so Andon is not allowed to carry jade yet they have to graduate for that uh, hasn't earned his wand the exactly. right to use magic outside of hogwarts if you will <laughs> exactly exactly like they train with jade but they have to put it away afterwards right. there's now this open understanding that there's going to be war and Andon is uncertain about his future in the clan and and Lon is very supportive of the fact that Andon might choose not to join the clan. Right. But Lon's emotions are very volatile and he's he gets angry very easily. He's mm. obviously very stressed out over all of this mm-hmm. as well. And Andon finds out that Lon is using Shine to help manage the Jade energy. I see. Because even though Shine is generally used by people who can't use Jade, yeah. it can also kind of stabilize people who have too much Jade. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So- here's where some of the intrigue be 
Vegans a exactly. little more within the clan, secrets being yeah. kept. Okay. We cut back throughout all of this very occasionally to Barrow, who was the thief from the beginning. Indeed. And he's desperate for more jade, because that's one of the things is that it can be very addictive. And so he's he will do anything to get more. And so mm-hmm. he ends up falling in with more of the criminal elements in the city who are not related to the clans, because mm-hmm. there's black market dealers. Right. And as part of this, he gets hired on by Gaunt Ash, the Horn of the Mountain, mm-hmm. to cause some ruckus, cause some chaos, mm-hmm. and to attack some of the no-peak territories. Mm, okay. It flashes between a couple different things. Shay and Andin have a discussion about Lon using Shine, mm. and Shay's like, probably fine. Sure. <laughs> Nothing bad can happen sure. here. Sure. And she says about how she's planning to leave Kekon again. She wants to take another job abroad. She wants to get out of there before all-out war happens. Indeed. Rejecting her destiny again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leave it to the free spirit um, to be fine with the drug abuse, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so fine. it goes. Hilo also arrests Doru, finally, for okay. conspiring with the mountain and betraying his clan. At long last. Meanwhile, Lon is hanging out at this gentleman's club, where he goes... Define gentleman's club. It's probably what you're envisioning. All right. <laughs> like, there's, there's dancers and there's private rooms. Yeah. It's all very upscale. Indeed. But, you okay. know... Okay, glad he, we're on the same page. Yeah, he, he goes there to relax and to... I bet he does. I bet he from does. From the stresses of being leader of the clan. And he's there when the club is attacked by Barrow and some others who are, again, trying to cause some chaos. Mm. And Lon, who is, again, quite volatile due to the amount of jade he's carrying, mm. fights back. Mm-hmm. They get into a combat. Indeed. And Lon does pretty well. It completely wipes the floor with some of these guys. But he accidentally took too much of the shine. And as he's fighting, he's working himself up. And he basically has a hard attack as he's fighting and collapses into the river. Oh no. Oh, is... And then we cut to Shay waking up to a call from Hilo telling her that Lon is dead. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> wow. How quickly things have changed. Yeah. Has Shay left at this point? I'm so sorry no. to interrupt. Shay hasn't left. She's, she's still in the capital. She's still in, she's still in Janloon, yes. Right. And he's like, can you get to the house? And she's like, yes. And he sends a car to get her. But she stops at the bank first to get to her safety deposit box where all of her jade is. And she puts it all back on. Interesting. What and... an interesting change of events. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hilo uses the chaos that has ensued from just the mountain reacting to the fact that they have kind of accidentally killed the head of the other clan mm. and they think that Hilo is going to go right for their main outpost because, again, he's known as the impulsive, impulsive one. Indeed. But he actually makes some smart tactical moves, uses the chaos to take over some other mountain territory and kill some of their retainers and that basically signifies that they are officially at war. At war. Interesting. Because okay. he owns mm. it all. It's not just random. He's like, nope, we're taking this territory for our clan. It's said that they came down from the forest mm. which is in their terminology means, you know, 
going to war. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. No, that's no, no. I mean, well, sure, <laughs> I have comments, but like for example, one comment or question is Shay going to make a leadership? Mm-hmm. The the prodigal mm-hmm. daughter, you know, now mm-hmm. return. Very mm-hmm. curious. We'll have to see, I guess. Mm. I was realizing that people can't see the shrugging motion Indeed, that I was yeah. doing. <laughs> the shrugging and the the inquisitive face yeah. that you're making. So the next morning, it becomes clear that Hilo is the new pillar of the clan. He's the youngest in history. Right. Because this wasn't supposed to happen. Sure. He also asks Shay officially to become his weatherman, which is the position she was raised for. And she agrees and she mm-hmm. pledges herself to the clan. And meanwhile, Barrow goes back to his boss, who's basically like, <laughs> you screwed up so bad. Indeed. <laughs> this was not the desired outcome. I'm really glad that that scene seemingly inconsequential character who was used as a mm-hmm. device to introduce us to our main characters. Yeah. I'm glad that he's come back in a consequential way. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, he's basically told to flee before anyone finds out that he was not directly responsible for Lon's death. Like, he did not kill him, but also if he had not been there, Lon probably would have survived. Indeed. So it's right. the clan is on the warpath. Do not let them find you. Mm. And Lon's funeral happens and and he, because his body was fished out of the water, his jade was still all on him. Mm-hmm. And that is buried with him. Because mm-hmm. normally when somebody who has a lot of jade is killed, like it's in battle, so people take your jade. Mm-hmm. But Barrow didn't get a chance to do that. Shay goes to interrogate Doru, who betrayed the clan. He's been imprisoned and stripped of his jade. And he explains that he wanted to help the clans combine into one. Mm-hmm. That was his main goal. And he did not want them to kill Lon, but was kind of okay with them killing Hilo, which was more the plan. Like, they wanted to get rid of the impulsive brother. Right, hence get, the hit. Yeah, get rid of the one who was in charge of the military, and then Lon, who was the milder, more reasonable person, in their view, would surrender and everything would be smooth. And the clans would unify. Yeah. yeah. And she promises to let Doru live if he keeps their grandfather company. Because, oh, well, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. There's some, you know, inter-clan violence, including Gaunt Ash, the Horn of the Mountain. He attacks a bunch of no-peak territory, including the restaurant from the very beginning, which is called the Twice Lucky. He also throws away this rule that is part of this code of honor that they have, which is that people who can't wield jade, so non-green bones, aren't, like, they don't get killed. They don't get hurt. It's called show. If they're attacking you, then it's fine, and if they're a spy, then it's okay. But if they're just some random civilian, you're not supposed to hurt them. That's considered a huge breach of... Indeed, okay. They're just that. They're seen as civilians if yeah. they can't wield jade. Exactly. And some of these people are what's called lantern men, which mm. means that they pay tribute to the clan mm. and give the clan their support. But Gaunt Ash is on the warpath and he has been eschewing show and mm-hmm. hurting people regardless of who mm. they are. Interesting. Yeah. Problematic. Not great. So the council, who are technically in charge... <laughs> <laughs> they want a truce because obviously this is not great for the city to have clan warfare. Indeed. Yeah. Especially when one of the clans is killing civilians. And the two clans do agree to meet for some peace talks, but it's pretty clear that they're just... Performative. Performative is a good word, yeah. It's pretty clear that none of them really think that anything's going to come of it. But there is the question of public opinion to care about to some extent. Like, right, indeed, optics. Yeah, exactly. Like, obviously the public knows that 
their clans, sometimes clans fight, but warfare on this scale is mm-hmm. kind of unprecedented, at least in, you know, living memory. Mm-hmm. So people aren't super happy about it. Indeed. Well, um, there's, there's the legitimacy issue, right? Exactly. How can you legitimately have a claim to rule if you've massacred thousands of civilians? Exactly. To some extent, like, no peak had a little bit of sympathy that their head was murdered, right. ostensibly murdered. And so they had the public on their side to some extent, mm-hmm. but they won't have that forever. And Indeed. the public would like the clan war to stop, please. Right. Right. The political situation that emerges basically is that no peak would benefit from having more time to be able to amass their followers a little bit more, wait until the next crop of students graduates from the academy, because then they'll have a flush of new recruits, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mountain wants to hit hard, hit fast, wipe them out and take over before they can get those recruits. Right. Obviously, those two things are... At odds. At odds, yes. Meanwhile, like even within the academy, Andon is seeing in his classmates, because they're in like their senior year, some of his classmates are seeing the clan war around them and going like, I don't know if I want to be a green bone. I don't know if I want to join the clan mm-hmm. and suddenly be launched into warfare. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty gung-ho about, no, I'm so excited to go help my cousins. And he beats up one of his classmates. Like they get into a physical altercation. Mm. He's like, you're a coward. Kilo, who comes to visit Andon sometimes, they have a very brotherly relationship. Sure. He calms the fight and is like, you cannot afford to be alienating our potential new recruits right Indeed, now, please. Yeah. Meanwhile, Wen, who is Hilo's girlfriend and now fiance, they have decided to get married in the midst of all this. Congratulations to um, them. Wen basically approaches Shay because she's a stone eye, so she Indeed. can't hold Jade, she can't fight. Right. But she feels really useless in the middle of all this. So she approaches Shay to basically become a spy because that's like the one thing she can do for the clan. Mm-hmm. And she becomes what's called a white rat, which is a jade smuggler mm. because she can't feel the jade. She wouldn't be affected by the jade, so she's a very effective smuggler. However, if she were ever to be caught, the rules of Aisho would not apply to her. Mm. So she's putting herself in a lot of danger and they both mutually agree to never tell Hilo about this. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, oh, <laughs> classic, very good. He's, he's very much like, yes, you are my wife. You will be safe at home while I go out and fight. Yes, doing wifely things. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> he seems like the type. I'm glad that they brought into it kind of this spy master relationship <laughs> type of thing. There, there's definitely potential there when you announced that the, the weatherman was the spy master. I'm yeah. excited to see this play out. Yeah. She's sort of the political head in some ways. Like she deals with the businessmen. She deals with the other countries, like representatives from the other countries. Right. And also with the spies. Indeed. And like Kilo's relationship with Wen is like he tells her like she has the heart of a green bone. Like he recognizes that she's this very sort of vicious creature in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That like if she could wield Jade, she would be a very dangerous individual. Mm. But he's still kind kind of like, no, wife, you stay at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, which does make sense a little bit within this world, because obviously those with Jade are valued a lot more than mm. those without, but still. Glad to see her pursuing her own path, yeah. you know, blazing her own trail. Yeah. Meanwhile, so Shay is fairly religious. She goes to the temple. There's some world building about religion that I won't go into because it's not really relevant to the plot at all, but we do get these little interspersions of like mythology, which mm-hmm. are kind of neat mm-hmm. within the book. So one day while Shay is going to the temple to pray, uh, which she does fairly frequently, Ait Mata, the leader of the mountain, comes mm-hmm. to meet with her. Wow. Yeah. And 
and they meet one-on-one, -on -one, like woman to woman, and Ike tells her that she didn't want Lon to die. That wasn't in the plan at all. She was just trying to cause some chaos, mm -hmm. and she wants to make an alliance between the two of them. Individuals or clan? Between the two of them as a tool to unite the clans, basically. Curious. She explains that she's really worried about the other powers, the other countries, and their potential influence, and that she... And these are sort of coded Western imperial powers in some ways. Like, there's clearly countries that are meant to be European, mm -hmm. North American, mm -hmm. like... And she wants Kekon to stand on its own, so she wants to shut down the underground jade trade and to have full control over the jade that's coming in and out. And she basically asks Shay to usurp her brother in order to combine mm -hmm. the clans and end the war. Interesting. <laughs> and Shay turns her down after a moment of consideration. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, so, But it's a really interesting conversation. It is, isn't it? Very yeah. interesting proposition, too. Yeah. Read a whole nother book on that. I know. It's pretty cool. And then meanwhile, Doru, the old weatherman, escapes and goes to the mountain, carrying many secrets with him. And it's revealed that the way he was able to do this is that their grandfather Knew gave it. him some of his own jade yeah. in order to help, help him. him escape. Love it. And so they're just mad at their grandfather for <laughs> being... <laughs> pill, basically, Indeed, causing them yeah. more issues than need be. Because he doesn't fully understand everything that's happening, but he does understand that his grandchildren are disappointments, ah, which is great. Indeed. Always nice. Yeah. Meanwhile, Shay talks about some of the information that she gained from her meeting with Ait, right. but she doesn't actually tell him that she did meet with her. She, like, keeps that little tidbit to herself. Mm. When he asks, like, oh, how did you learn this information? She says, the weatherman watches the sky, which is meant to say, like, you know, sometimes Ooh. the weatherman receives information in mysterious ways. I love that. It's I might have to, like, dog ear that statement, whip it out every yeah. now and again. It's pretty mm. good. It's pretty good. Because, like I said, the weatherman is responsible for the spies, and sometimes you can't say where you got information. Meanwhile, Gaunt Ash is continuing on his warpath, killing a bunch of fists, and also just doing it really horribly, like torturing them, which which is, again, not cool, according to their, their codes their of code. honor. I yeah, like he cuts off one of their arms, but leaves the guy alive. Oof. So the guy can't fight anymore, but he's still technically alive. And he begs Kilo to kill him because he's like, I can't be one of your fists anymore. I can't help you out. Just put me out of my misery kind of mm. thing. And Hilo refuses to do so. He's like, no, you're still alive. Like you have a family. You can still be with your family. So, you know, you still have a life. Don't act like losing your arms is the same thing as a death sentence, mm -hmm. which is kind of nice. Some compassion from the, yeah. the heart character, if Exactly. You will. And the student that Andon fought with earlier, his father is one of Hilo's fists who gets murdered during all the chaos. Mm. And he's upset about it, but it also kind of revitalizes his dedication to the clan, mm -hmm. and he pledges himself to the clan oh, good. afterwards. So not alienated. Then. Yeah, so some of them do actually stay with it. As 
part of this, Gaunt gives the message that Kilo can either go to a special meeting place, which is the Twice Lucky, the restaurant from the beginning, mm-hmm. basically go there to die, mm-hmm. or the mountain is going to come in and murder everyone in his family in front of him. Wow, okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> question, pause here. What point are we at in rising action? We must be close oh, to the climax. we're getting, yeah, we're oh, getting we're, pretty we're close. right there, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we're okay. getting right there. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I won't, yeah. I won't okay. stop you then, please. And after he and Shay have a discussion about their options, he decides he's going to go through with it. He's going to challenge Gaunt, but he has a plan. He and Wen get married because he wants to make her properly part of the family in case he does die. Nice. You know, get married just in time to make somebody a widow. That's right, I yeah. <laughs> but I guess that's better than the alternative. And he goes and he picks up Andin, who hasn't graduated, but he has finished the trials, which are sort of the big test at the end. So the graduation at that point is kind of a bit of a formality. So he's right. proved he can handle his jade. Right. And Andin pledges himself to the clan. There's a, a pledge that they give. Let me see if I can find it. So the pledge is basically the clan is my blood and the pillar is its master. On my honor, my life, and my jade. Mm, I like that. <laughs> okay. Which is Shay gives that pledge to Hilo and mm-hmm. she takes over the weatherman position and Andin gives it to Hilo the night before this meeting at the Twice Lucky. They have this very somber family dinner. (laughs) Yeah, Last Supper, literally. (laughs) Oh my. So Hilo and Andon go to the Twice Lucky to meet Gaunt, who's having a great old time. I bet. Eating the food, generally. Living it up, living up his warlord life. Yeah, basically, basically. And Hilo is like, okay, you got me. I'm surrendering. Mm. You got what you wanted. But I want a death of consequence. Like, I want to go out fighting. Mm -hmm. So Gaunt's like, cool, I can respect that because that's what their whole their, culture indeed, is. Indeed, yeah. And Hilo fights a few nameless green bones that Gaunt throws at him. Mm. And then he and Gaunt fight. Gaunt sort of approaches to kill Hilo, expecting him to surrender. And Hilo takes it into a fight, which was not exactly what Gaunt was expecting. And Hilo gets beat down pretty badly. But in doing so, he and Andin execute this complicated maneuver in which Hilo has taken basically all of his jade, tied it together, and put it inside the sleeve of his shirt. Hmm. So it's still technically touching his skin, Mm -hmm. so he still has control over it. But as he's being beaten down by Gaunt, he extends his hand to Andin, Andin reaches in, pulls the jade out, Mm. and then uses the jade. And Andin's best skill is... Channeling? Channeling, Ah, yes. Okay. And in like a moment he is able to stop Gaunt's heart and also the hearts of some others who are nearby. Oops. Okay. I think they were all bad guys, so it's fine. <laughs> they're all, Fair enough. They're all mountain, mountain Ma- people. Mountain men, if you will. Um, yeah. Okay. And then collapses because it was like a huge amount of energy to expend. He's particularly vulnerable And he's particularly well. vulnerable. We cut ahead after this to Andon waking up in the hospital mm. some amount of time later and he's already started to feel cravings for the jade mm-hmm. and he wants to have it again Mm -hmm. Um, and he's pretty freaked out by that because it killed his mother and it's revealed that after they were successful in killing Gaunt he and Hilo were pretty much out for the 
account, but several of Hilo's lieutenants were primed and ready to go, and they went out and regained a bunch of territory. Mm-hmm. So it's gone back to being sort of at a standstill. Anyone's like, game. Yeah, and the fighting dies down a little bit because the mountain has just lost their military leader and also several important military figures. Mm-hmm. So they're at a bit of a stalemate. A standstill, yeah, yeah. indeed, indeed. Hilo and Andin both recover from their injuries pretty well, and we cut ahead to Andin's graduation, where Hilo gives a speech because he's now fully embodying his role as Pillar. Mm-hmm. He's gained a lot of respect. Like, people now respect him not only as a military leader, but just mm. generally, like, he's shown that he can be non-impulsive in a position of leadership, yeah. which is kind of nice. And Andin is welcomed as a, a member of the Call family, but as he goes up to the platform to receive his jade, he suddenly has a realization and he refuses it and he runs from the ceremony and Hilo is furious with him for embarrassing them all. yeah. But Andon says that he doesn't want to lose himself to it and that he doesn't want to be a weapon Hmm. for the clan or for anyone, which is sort of what Hilo used him as. Hilo calls him a traitor, tells him to get out of there. Oh no. And he he runs and he ends up at Lon's grave where Shay finds him and figures out a way to get him safely out of Jan Loon somewhere to like the coast where he can live a more peaceful life away from the constant clan warfare that is the city at the mm-hmm. moment. Shay receives a letter from Doru, the old weatherman, telling her to make an escape route, basically, because the mountain is not going to just lie down quietly. Mm-hmm. But she resolves not to run for the first time in her life. She's going to stand her ground and she wants to come after him specifically for his role in all of this. Outstanding. <laughs> And she and Hilo meet in the Twice Lucky and discuss their plans for the future of the clan. And that's sort of where the book ends, but we get an epilogue, which catches up with Barrow again. (laughs) Good, good, okay. (laughs) And he's made a friend with somebody else who was harmed by all of this ongoing clan warfare. Just another... Just another random. Civilian, yeah. I see, sure. There's a whole subplot about black market jade dealing that we did not have time to go into. They go to the grave yard at night and the implication is that he's going there to steal Lon's jade which you'll remember was sewn into the lining of his coffin mm-hmm. and we end on him thinking about how there's always opportunity in the city mm-hmm. okay very interesting <laughs> and that's where it ends and that's where it ends and that's where it ends all right well Interesting. I have to say, first of all, before I say anything, I have to say that this is not the genre of book that I would normally read, but I really enjoyed the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, like even when it comes to media that is perhaps easier to consume, like television or film, I'm not really usually someone who gravitates towards crime, crime mm-hmm. fan. I mean, I haven't seen The Godfather, neither of you. <laughs> and yet we both, I mean, you're the only one who's read it. You really enjoyed, it mm-hmm. seems, Jade City. And I enjoyed learning about it. I I have a couple points, but I guess before we get into that, how do you feel walking away from it after having taken a big old bite out of it, masticating (laughs) it and swallowing it, digesting it? What's your verdict? 
I think it's a really interesting book and the, the first of an interesting series. Because yeah, like you said, like this is a crime drama in a lot of ways, which I I consume some of. Like I would say when it's done well, I like it, which is, <laughs> I guess, any, true of anything, really. Mm. People who are sympathetic, but not necessarily good people mm-hmm. competing over territory mm-hmm. and competing over like the underworld, mm. basically, even though in this world, the underworld is also kind of the overworld. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> kind of overt crime. Yeah, yeah. Like the clans are very well known and well respected. Like the heads of the clans right. are public figures. Right, right. What you said about you like it when it's done well. I am even of the type of person where if it is done well, I probably still won't watch it just because that does... Yeah, Breaking Bad. People have told me to watch Breaking Bad, Ozark, The Godfather for so many years and I want to. I just, you know, like it doesn't grab me but this did and I don't know if it's the fantasy element. Mm. I don't know if it's the East Asian setting but in any case, I really enjoyed your retelling of it. Here's the thing. Here's the distinction that I'm going to make. I enjoyed it but I'm not quite satisfied. Mm-hmm. I want a little more. I feel like we've just read the introduction to a much broader story and to that point you say this part of a series Mm -hmm. yes the the sequel which is called jade war came out i believe last year which i have actually read in a wild departure from our norm which is that i read the first (laughs) book and then don't touch the series again true not intentionally i think i just am always worried that the sequel will not live up to the original fair enough well no spoilers i won't no yeah no spoilers (laughs) and then the the third book which i believe is going to be called jade kingdom right is coming out next year Okay, exciting. So it is essentially just the first mm-hmm. third of an ongoing story. Very cool. A couple of things that I wanted to point on. The fact that Doru, the old weatherman, did so many heinous, horrible things and then just got away with them, mm-hmm. seemingly until the end when Shay declares, you are persona non grata, you are the mm-hmm. target, we're coming for you, I'm yeah. coming for you personally. Yeah. <laughs> I found that very satisfying, especially yeah. given the revelations earlier that mm-hmm. we found out about him. And to be honest, when those revelations were revealed about him sexually abusing other women and girls within the clan, and then Shay reestablishes contact with him and they begin a dialogue again, I, I felt a little interesting. Hmm, I, I would have thought that she being the free spirit, the one who had left the clan for an international boyfriend and lifestyle, mm-hmm. that she would have been a little more firm in her convictions. So it <laughs> makes me happy to see her coming back with a vengeance there in the end. Also... Something that intrigued me was Shay's meeting with Ait Mada. Their little proposition there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's some sort of foreshadowing for later mm-hmm. on in the series. She's a spy master mm-hmm. after all. She's clever and we'll see. I don't know. It sounds to me like this Hilo fella sounds to me like he's going to die. Sounds to me <laughs> like his days are numbered. Personally, <laughs> he's, he's Im- although not fatally so, he's impulsive. He's maybe a little hot headed. He's definitely um, got a temper indeed and and characters like that don't survive so we'll see (laughs) we'll see how the second story goes very excited to see where that goes yeah and i mean one of the things that i found really interesting about this is during the story i was very i was gonna say you but me as a reader (laughs) i won't speak for the broad experience of reading is that i got very sucked into the perspective of the characters which was family 
above all, clan above all. And I like these characters. I think Hilo's an interesting character. I think Shay is an interesting character. I like Andon too. And I am rooting for them because I like them as characters. And I think as a result, I end up rooting for the clan as well. And rooting for them even when their actions aren't the most moral. Mm-hmm. And taking a step back from it later, I realized that like, I don't actually know if they're in the right in a broader sense. Like in some regards, I think Aitmada has a better understanding of the geopolitical context and potentially better intentions. Mm-hmm. Obviously her methods have not been great, mm-hmm. but in terms of what she's trying to do, like I don't know that her goal is a bad one. Indeed, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a common goal shared throughout history, uniting the forces of a single nation mm-hmm. under a single banner so that they can fend off <laughs> some sort of an external foe or force. And that's just it, right? There, there are shades of gray and we don't necessarily know if No Peak is the good guy, mm-hmm. right? When all's said and done. And that kind of begs the question of where do you get the legitimacy to rule, right? Who mm-hmm. really has the right to rule? Does that only come from uniting this island nation militarily? Or is there an aspect of legitimacy that comes with who's best suited mm-hmm. to lead Kekon into the future and mm-hmm. facing these ex- perhaps in the future books that'll be the external broader world will be a subject of a little more attention mm-hmm. and the culture of Kekon is very much might makes right mm-hmm. like they respect people who are strongest and the people who can prove that strength mm-hmm. in a physical military way mm-hmm. and like you know obviously that's been the case in a lot of different cultures over the years but it's kind of interesting that Aitmada is that in practice like she literally murdered her brothers to get power and wants to sweep through and take over everything else but also would that be the worst situation for the country to find itself in? Mm. Maybe not. A benevolent dictator or is there such a thing? Exactly and maybe that's I mean I don't necessarily mean to always be drawing the comparison to the poppy war just because (laughs) they're both standalone different. Yeah they're both different and I don't mean to compare them just because they're both fantasy Asia based stories I think it may be a similar question that we discussed there of like who is in power and how do they use that power and the fact that characters are compelling despite the fact that sometimes they use power poorly right and that's the real narrative here that's the Mm -hmm. real story I think Uh, power struggles between flawed characters Mm -hmm. and right to rule and how far that might makes right mentality will go Mm -hmm. when Aitmata starts slaughtering civilians right yeah exactly Uh, it's all very interesting and you know a civilization that's becoming more and more modern like I think they have phones they have cars planes I believe interesting Hilo in particular has a really nice car sure interesting a digression nonetheless quite an interesting read quite a journey Mm -hmm. and and left me when I said that it left me unsatisfied I don't mean that in a bad way it leaves me craving Mm -hmm. more it leaves me yeah wanting to know how this story truly concludes yeah because this doesn't seem like a conclusion it seems like the end of the first act yeah and that's basically what it is I know people who have found this book to start a bit slowly and it is in many ways a little bit episodic mm. there's a lot of things going on and they like there's rising tension but even like as I'm summarizing I'm sure you can tell it's not a clear mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. structure in some ways so I 
I know for some people that's a little bit difficult to get into, but I, with both this and the sequel, to be honest, I was like turning pages. I found it really hard to put this book down because I right. needed to know what happened next. Right. There you have it. And I mean, I'm a little bit on the page of like, I think it would be really fun if the two clans did unite and like the two clans did have to work together. I will, I guess, plant my flag okay. on, that, on that very strange hill. Like, I don't know if that's in the cards at all, mm. but I do think it would be fun. All right, I well, just want to see them work together. I was going to say, okay, if we're making outlandish <laughs> predictions, then why not? Okay, uh, Mata will die, Hilo will die, <laughs> Shay will become the unified leader of the clans as the shogun operating under the emperor who will be, let's say, Barrow. Why not? <laughs> Speaking of which, I, I, he's probably one of my favorite characters in it, just because I get a very, I don't know, a self-serving bard type of personality from him, which I love. But Yeah, he's a really interesting character. And again, that sort of allows you to see outside of the very insular call family because right. they have their own thing going on. And you get to see that like for people who don't have Jade, life is a lot harder. Mm. And if you aren't born into a family with some privilege, like he never had a chance to go to the academy. He never had a chance to learn how to use jade Mm -hmm. it's very hard to gain the respect you would need Mm. to join the upper echelons of society Mm. in a lot of ways and yet even without being part of those upper echelons of society he still leaves his mark on history yeah exactly exactly and i mean that's the truth of history really indeed well said well said (laughs) and speaking of which like just to go back a little bit to the conversation we had during wanderers which if you haven't listened to our episode on that um go listen to it good stuff we were talking about promises that were broken to readers and Mm -hmm. when is it appropriate to break a promise and what does that mean for your story Mm -hmm. and I pulled out Jade City as a bit of an example where I felt like a promise had been broken but not necessarily in a bad way Mm -hmm. in like a bit of a subverted expectations way and this is just my experience in reading and this might just be that I'm not necessarily a particularly savvy reader (laughs) like I'm usually surprised by plot twists I did not expect Lon to die Mm. and that to me was in some way is a bit of a broken promise Mm. because they set him up as the leader of the clan and they set up this tension between him and Hilo and as I was reading the first act of this story because I would say his death probably marks end of the first act I was expecting it to be a story partially about inter-clan tensions you Mm. know tensions between Lan and Hilo and Hilo and Shay yeah that's where, where I thought it was going as well exactly and you know this conflict between Hilo as having more support in the clan but Lon being like the better leader ostensibly mm-hmm. and and that's obviously not where the story went because he dies and that's a pretty big inciting incident so to me that felt a little bit like a breaking of the expectation that I had in some ways a breaking of a promise which I'm using very loosely just to again tie back to that discussion right. I guess I'm wondering like what were your feelings about that do you feel like that was a, a broken promise in quotations mm. well for me I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a broken promise definitely a subverted expectation, Mm -hmm. I will concede, in that I was also I was expecting Shay to make a power play Mm -hmm. as I mentioned, you know? You hit the nail on the head, right? They wouldn't have gone to all the detail of describing the differences in clan support if they weren't setting that up. Mm -hmm. So there was definitely some sort of a subverted expectation there. Now whether that's a broken promise or not I suppose kind of depends on what happens next. Where the series goes, I still think for example that there could be some clan tension between Shay and Hilo 
well. And I look forward to that in the next book. Yeah. Perhaps even that's how he dies, mm-hmm. if he does die. <laughs> Again, all wild speculation. But speculation is fun. It is fun. It is fun. But that being said, I do have another question for you. Mm-hmm. Who's the protagonist in your view? And uh, a cop out mm-hmm. would be saying all three of them. Uh, <laughs> so don't. I mean, I'll go first, I guess, mm-hmm. in saying I think it's Shay, right? Beyond Shadow of a Day. I see that. I think the argument can be made. We get the perspective of Lon before he dies. We get right. Shay and Hilo's perspective. We get Andon's perspective. In terms of like characters who have an arc in mm-hmm. the story, which they all kind of do. But I would maybe make the argument that Andon's arc is the strongest. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. What makes you say that? In that he goes from... We get the established information that he comes from this very troubled family. We get to know his relationship with all of the different siblings. Mm. We get to know his position within the clan. And he starts off very grateful to the clan. And he remains that way. He's still grateful for what they gave him. But he starts off very proud of his ability to use Jade. And he moves to a place of being completely disgusted by himself. Yeah, I think I... uh... I see your point. I definitely mm-hmm. see your point. But I, I also see your counterpoint about how they really have all gone through massive character mm-hmm. transformation, mm-hmm. right? Shay readorns herself with her mm-hmm. jade. Hilo proves that he's not just a reactive hothead. Mm-hmm. And Andin, as you said, kind of subverts mm-hmm. all expectations. In fact, rejects it and mm-hmm. rejects everything that he's been given so that he can avoid that mistake that his family has made. All very good points. And for the record, I think Shay is probably my favorite character mm-hmm. of the I can see any of the arguments, really. <laughs> I Fair mostly enough. took a stance for the sake of talking it out. For the sake of interesting discussion. <laughs> exactly. Indeed. That's, what, that's our job. That's yeah. what we do here. So, fair enough. <laughs> and with that... All right. <laughs> sorry, the... All right. The, the pause, the hesitation, and the trepidation, and then... Okay. You know, just, okay. It's very cute. Let's that's it. all. It's very endearing. <laughs> I think that wraps up our discussion on Jade City by Fonda Lee. Next week, we are going to be going back to science fiction... And we're going to be looking at the Murderbot series of novellas by Martha Wells, which I think will be a bit of an interesting exploration, looking at something a little bit different than a traditional novel format. Yes, very interesting, very exciting. Maybe a bit of a break from our usual podcast format even. Maybe we'll mm. break it up. Mm. Who knows? But thanks again to, to Fonda Lee for her excellent work here. And if you've enjoyed listening, and presumably you have since you made it all the way to the end, please leave a rating, thumbs up, like, or subscribe. And if you enjoyed us, tell a friend about our podcast. That would also really help us out. Really, really help us out. Go ahead, spread the word. We're also happy to announce that we have a Facebook page where you can find us at Brodacious Book Club or our handle, which is Book Brodacious. So go ahead and search that up. You can find us, drop us a like. We're also at Book Brodacious on Twitter if you'd like to give us a follow. Yeah, be part of the conversation. You can Mm -hmm. even message us, even send us your thoughts. And recommendations, like no guarantee but I would love to know what people are wanting to hear about. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Very open recommendations. You can also find all of our episodes on Buzzsprout as the Brodacious Book Club, and you can reach us at brodaciousbookclub at gmail.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to us ramble for a bit. I've been Aaron Rockford. I'm going to steal a joke from one of my favorite podcasts and say you can reach me at the bad website at Pineapple Fury. (laughs) The bad website. I love that. Oh, good stuff. And you can reach me on Twitter as well as at MST Thomas 95. <laughs> it's finally happened, folks. It's finally we've, happened. We've worn him down. That's right. I took <laughs> off the mask. He's my secret identity. Come find me. Send me messages. Tweet at me. I'd love to hear from you. I'm sure we both would. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>
Thanks so much for tuning in. And remember, folks, the weatherman watches the sky. Until next time.